Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, good evening and welcome to the Midweek Fix for this Wednesday night um, brought to you by Sienna's Steps. Um, we are supportive of Sienna's Steps and we are in the last 18,000 euros to get her to 120k and get her to America for the treatment and back for the rehab afterwards. So make sure you check out Sienna's Steps. The link is in the description. And during this international break, we're going to push this really, really, really hard um, to try to get her over her total. And me and Andy are having a chat next Tuesday and we're going to have chat for hours. And when we're chatting for hours, we're going to have a link on screen that will help you donate. Um, with me this week, I have got Kev O'Sullivan making his debut on the Midweek Fix. I have Jamie Home, and I have Keith Cross A. K-A at Goldmouth with two O's in it, which is really easy to remember when you're looking them up on Twitter, just to let you know. So, um, lads are all very, very welcome. Um, there's lots to get through tonight. Lots to get through. I forgot to tell you what it is. So we're going to talk about FIFA and the two years, uh, every two years having a World Cup, which is madness. Um, I'm going to throw it out there to start with. All right. Jamie's going to go absolute fucking atomic on this because he just wants international football shut down. Kev wants it every six months, I think. And Keith's just killed whatever they fucking decide. Um, we're going to have some talk around the midfield of Liverpool on Sunday. There's been a lot of said around it. And we want to have a little bit of a deeper look as to what way City approach stuff, what way Liverpool approach stuff, and just how good are these two to be perfectly honest with you we're going to have a big chat on Mo Salah absolute huge chat on Mo Salah tonight um, we're going to talk about um, his goals his assists the contract situation what, where does the future hold for, for Mo Salah and then we're going to finish with winners and losers spoiler alert uh, Kev O'Sullivan gave me Newcastle United as his loser at about 2pm today and at 3pm they're announced that they're the richest club in world football so there you go it's been a great day for Kev so far um, lads straight into it and Kev I'm going to come to you first because yeah you brought this up me up with me the other day, and somebody in the chat, by the way, um, I will get it up here now. Um, just you know, they're they're absolutely acting the maga. Um, to be honest with you, Kev, he says Red Steve, and he says this. He says, um, "Evening Reds, lots of swearing in the comments while Uncle Kev is busy tonight because Kev of course, is a moderator on our channel, and while Kev is away messing and um, doing this, they're allowed to do what they want. Apparently, trust me, I, I'm, I'm sure Kev has delegated um, all the. Laura's mind. Laura's mind in the house tonight. Ah, oh, good stuff. Laura will look after you. Um, if he slapped around the place, if he's acting yeah. maggot tonight, then because Laura, Laura will bash Kev. 
So he's rather in trouble. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I want to come to you first, and it's it's this World yeah. Cup stuff, and you brought this with me. We were having a chat about yeah. it uh, the other day, and I'm going to be honest with you, Kev, I don't know what they're at. You know, I, I don't know how much football they think these players can play, you know, and literally just play and play and play and play and play. And, and one thing that's get when I'm, when I'm reading about this is they're not letting this go away, and nobody seems to be going, you're not doing this. Everyone's just kind of seeing yeah. the way until FIFA just really, really throw it out there and go, we're doing this. What do you think? A bit like the Qatar World Cup, I suppose. Yeah. Look, I don't agree with a World Cup every two years. Let's just put that out there now. But I hate this, what we have now, where we play seven games, then we stop for 10 days. Then we play another seven games and we stop for 10 days. It's ridiculous. It's no good for anyone. And... I think it turns an awful lot of people off of international football. There's a cracking game on tonight, Spain uh, Spain and Italy. Now, FIFA's idea would be to abolish the Nations League, which was brought in to get rid of uh, meaningless friendlies with like eight subs and what have you, and nobody could be bothered watching it. And it was an impossible sell to TV companies. Now, what I'd love them to do, I love the idea of a block of, say, the football season, the Premier League season, Champions League would be, say, the last game of the season played on April 30th, May 1st. Then you have a block of six weeks for international football around the world. So on the odd years, you have your qualification games to be played in those six weeks. Home and away, eight eight games, ten games for a six-team qualification group if you're in Europe for the following year's tournament. Then that gets wrapped up at the, in, May, say, mid-June. Then the players are off until they come back for pre-season after four weeks. Pre-season starts maybe mid-July, and the season carries on as normal, starting, say, mid-August or whatever. Now, what that would do is it would free up the, this week that we're in now for league games, club games. You wouldn't be playing three games in seven days to fit into an international calendar like we're trying to do at the minute. And a lot of it is brought on by the South American countries with the Copa America, where they should have been playing the, the qualifiers for the next World Cup when they had the Copa on. Now the South American countries have to fit those games in, as well as the tournament they just had. It's absolutely madness that you've got players flying all over the world in what is a, a league season. I just think that if they, if FIFA decided, right, UEFA, Comedy Ball, you play your club, your club games up until with, within these days from August to May 1st, that's your league football season. Then you have six weeks of international football where you can structure it, say Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday, Monday, Thursday, Sunday, and however, so you, you literally have tournament football every year. You'd have six weeks of international football every year, be it a tournament or a qualification process. And I think in the long run, everyone wins because throughout the league season, players would have more time between league games. But would you the cramming to try to fit everything into nine months? Would the argument be, though, Kev? Would the argument be, though, is that, <clears throat> and I'm just trying to play devil's advocate. Mm. I get what you're coming from. Leave the players to play the league and club football. That's where they make their bread and butter. But they all want to play international football as well, the vast yeah. majority of them. But what the problem be is if, if you turned around and you said to 
FIFA or UEFA or whoever it might be, the Premier League, that we're going to run this and then we're going to have six weeks at the end of the season for internationals, whether that be a tournament or qualifying. What you're going to have is international managers going, and I don't see me players for another year. I don't I don't deal with them for another year. I don't have them on a training pitch. I don't train them. So they just turn up cold at the end of a football season. And It's catch-22 catch to what they're doing now because what they're doing now is unsustainable. Long term, it's unsustainable because of the intensity of the games they're playing at the moment between, especially at the top level, between Premier League, European competition, going off into an international duty. The travel, the intensity, everything is just in the long run going to shorten players' careers. Now, they can do it one of two ways. This two-year World Cup thing is a nonsense. It just is. But I like international football. International football is what got me into football in the first place. What? Because we didn't have anything else. We could. There was no live football. If you remember, Gav, it was like Lansdowne Road didn't have floodlights, so you come home from school in the afternoons, and the only live game you'd have on would be an Ireland qualifier at three o'clock or half three in a, in a midweek afternoon. Yeah, there was nothing else. So we got into uh, people my age anyway. We got into football by watching international games. I like international football, but I want it. At, I don't want it at the expense of club players. And club players' long term careers. It seems it's just it's, not, it's not it's, sustainable. I agree with you, it's not sustainable. And it just seems to be, for me, it's just going to come to a head. It has to come to a head at some stage. And I think the Qatar World Cup is where it's going to come to a head for me. When it gets to the end of next season, and like, if you, I think we spoke about it last week, Jamie, or I come up, um, it might, might have been this show last week or another show we done where we read the timeline out and it was fucking ridiculous it was like right you're stopping here and then then we'll do the Champions League and then when the Champions League's over we'll start the World Cup and then we'll finish that and we'll have Christmas and then the day after Christmas we'll start the football again Jamie like I think Kev makes a good point with regards to blocking it off and going there's your block a bit like the league season there's your block but you have a different re- you, you have a different feeling this you just you just want international football get rid of it yeah, just get rid of it all to be no like I'm probably the worst person to ask about this because I I don't really have any um, warmth towards international football at all for lots of different reasons as a Liverpool fan is it because is it because you're from Liverpool and then moved to I Ireland did- and Ireland are shy <laughs> yeah, so I didn't really like England when I was in England, yeah, and, and then I moved to, watch, to Ireland. Ireland yeah. the shite, so I've yeah. just got I'm nowhere at the moment. Yeah. I, I could support Kenya now, actually, because my, my missus is half Kenyan, so maybe maybe I could do that. But um, yeah, I think I think for me, look, I've, I've never really warmed to international football generally, but I just think at a at a at a football level, there is no joined up thinking at all. Everybody is operating with their own best interests. Everybody is trying to get as much money as possible uh, for their different governing bodies, For the, whether it's the Premier League, whether it's FIFA, whoever it is, they're all operating um, for their own self-interest. And ultimately, it's the players that are going to suffer. And for me, all I want to see is the best players in the world at peak fitness, at the peak of their powers. And the idea now, I mean, you look at, I think it was only for the first time this season Sadio Mane was able to have a preseason. The way that things have gone, players, Jordan Henderson came back, didn't get a preseason. All of these top players are getting wheeled around the globe. They're, uh, they're already overplayed as it is. You're already starting to see players now struggling, um, struggling with injuries. I don't really think any of maybe the England players that, are, that have come back have hit hit the heights so far this season. I think a lot of players are running on empty. Um, I just think you're going to get to the to a point where football, there's a breaking point. 
And Klopp has been alluding to this now for, for two, three years. And, and everybody thinks with Jurgen Klopp, he's just thinking about his Liverpool players. He only has his Liverpool hat on. He doesn't. He has his football hat on. And I just think when you look at everything that's happening at the moment, the last thing we need is another international tournament. Now, what I would say to, to again, play maybe a little bit of devil's advocates, I can see where I can see the idea in that a lot of international games are dead rubbers. There's nothing really in those games. You know, England play a load of farmers, teachers. 99.9% of England's qualification games are easy for them. They win comfortably. And then you see them when they have to play against the good teams in the major tournaments, they come unstuck. Uh, they've got to try and create. They've got to break down good defences, play good players, and they struggle. Now, I understand that the World Cup should, in theory, create more meaningful games for international football. And I think that is a conversation that needs to happen. I just don't think it needs to happen in the way that it means another international tournament or a World Cup at a, at a greater frequency every two years. I think ultimately what's going to happen is the players are going to suffer. I think you're going to get more injuries. Uh, I think you're going to see domestically players not being at full tilt uh, because they're overworked. I know they get paid very handsomely, but they're athletes. We need to take care of our athletes to prolong their careers and make sure that we get to watch them at the peak of their powers for longer. And I just feel like this tournament is a step backwards uh, in, in being able to do that. Well, I'm going to leave the last word to Keith on this because um, we're 15 minutes and this is nearly up. And <laughs> if we run over our 15 minutes, I have all the, the sound effects here and all ready to press and there's air horns and all. So I really hope Keith talks for over two and a half minutes here and I can have a right go at this. Um, but Keith, Jamie talks about um, players being wheeled around and, and, you know, overplayed. And Kev talks about the intensity of games, particularly when we look at the Premier League. Like It's just... You know, from start to finish a game, just non-stop. And, and, you know, when you get into this part of the season now and over Christmas, you'd be every game, game every two or three days, every 48 hours. And then the cup comes in and then Champions League comes back after the group stages and we're into knockout. And it's just crazy amount of football. But, Keith, I get the impression, and somebody said in the chat there, the players should stand up for themselves. I get the impression that players don't have a massive issue. I think there's no. a lot of players out there that want no. to go and play for Brazil and Argentina and Colombia and where you know leaving England, going playing France, Italy, Germany, whatever, whatever nationality they are. I don't think you'll ever see players revolt against this because they actually love playing for the country. It's just the actual way it's it's structured. That's the issue. Playing for your country today is like um, you know enlisting for the army, right? When you really think about it, it's players see it as. I'm representing the badge. I'm representing the country. I think it's something that's lost in the UK to a certain degree because of the fact that the Premier League has been so successful and so intense that we almost, as fans, we don't have enough uh, room in our heart to let in the England team. And due to geography as well, like Jamie said, in Liverpool, for example, I can understand why the majority of Liverpool fans go quiet when the uh, England are playing compared to maybe if you go down to um, uh, East London and see how the Millwall guys um, uh, speak about international football. I think it is a feeling um, and that national loyalty becomes ever stronger when you go outside of the UK. So you look at the Brazilians, for example, they will never complain about going to Brazil. I, I, I can tell they enjoy getting together. They enjoy speaking, their, uh, go, speaking with their compatriots you know, they, they enjoy being together. It's almost like a bit of a break. It's a bit of a holiday for them. 
And actually, when it comes to the idea of having a World Cup every two years, so long as you look at the other international commitments, you'd have to look at the Euros. You'd have to look at the the the, the Copa America. You'd have to look at other international tournaments and see, well, if they do, will they make the same amount of money as for the federations as having a World Cup every two years? Because, yeah, we may think that it's... It, it, it's almost like our brains can't compete with the idea of having a World Cup every two years because we've been so used to it for so many years for having it for four. But we have the Champions League every year. We have the Premier League every year. People, footballers are competing for top trophies every year. There's, there's, you know, if you were to to make the World Cup a little bit more consistent and it um, and it generates more revenue for the, for the confederations, surely that would pump money back into the confederations, which would mean more competitive football matches because the confederations can pump more money back into their local teams. That would be the idea. So I, I think the argument, as I said before, from, from particularly Liverpool fans and I think from Premier League football fans in general, doesn't it's not aligned with, with what the players actually feel. You know, you are Sadio Mane again, Naby Keita, Mo Salah, you know, when they go out, they're not complaining. And if you told them, hey, we're going to give you a World Cup every two years and give you, you know, and expand it and give everybody an opportunity to fight for it, they're not going to, they're, they're going to turn around and be like, great, you know, now I don't have to wait every four years to potentially play in this world stage. Remember, Kev, like Kev, what you said there, you know, back in, in your generation, the World Cup was probably a bigger symbol of greatness compared to what it is today in the UK. But I still think that essence of greatness still lives in many, many, many um, other countries, such as your Brazils and such as your European winners as well. So your Italy's, your Spain's, your France's who compete quite regularly because they've got a good feeling. But but if you even look at England, if England went and won that Euros, there'd be no argument around international football. They yeah, think we'd never the hear the end of it. Like. No, but it's not even that. They, they just think it's the best thing ever. Um, we have to move on because we've passed our 15 minutes. People wanted to hear the air horn. Oh, yes. There you go. That's the end yes, of that segment. Great, I like it. I'm, I'm, like I'm back in Greece on a lad's yeah, yeah, holiday yeah. at a phone party or something. Yeah. I'm just so busy. I haven't got to put actual um, sound clips on. So if anyone has any suggestions as to sound clips we could use, please get in contact with me. Oh, God, that's and, um, sensational. Do it again there. Go on. No, I'm not doing it again. No, I have different ones here. We can mess around with as we go along, right? But that's the air horn. If you want to put a vote in for the air horn, go ahead. And if you want to just, if you have a little audio clip, it could be anything at all that you think would be good for breaking up segments. Absolutely shout them out as them. Um, I'm going to turn now, a smoke machine on in here now. Not, now, this not, now, <laughs> not, not in the live chat, but if you can get in contact with me and say, God, I'd love that, um, we will do it because it's all a bit of crack. Right, moving on. Um, and Jamie, I'm going to start with you on this one. And it's Liverpool against City at the weekend. And we've done we've done loads of, um, there's been loads of um, shows on this from us, from, from other podcasts, both Liverpool and City based, about just how good the game was. And I want to talk about later on we will in in this chat we're going to talk about how good these two teams are because it was a stat that was thrown up on Sky I think it was a couple of days ago which was just mind blown but you want to talk about midfield and and I want to talk about midfield a lot of people want to talk about midfield and I think you got a bit roiled over talk around Jordan Henderson and Curtis Jones um, being very poor at the weekend and you know they were very very poor and this and this and this and you know I thought they were poor I did, but I think it was a knock-on effect as well to the way the rest of the team are responding and, and going about their business. But in my opinion, both the three midfielders were poor in, diff- for different, in different ways. Jamie, the midfield, because it was like chalk and cheese, wasn't it? 
like first half I was like what the fuck's going on here and and then second half you're like that's more like it it was it was just a bit a bit of a weird one but do you think the over the reaction was over the top with regards to the midfield yeah firstly uh, i mean look i i did I was frustrated watching the first half just because I want Liverpool. I, I look forward to this game more than most uh, from a football perspective as a spectacle because I think that the, the two teams have redefined football to a degree in, in the Premier League. I, I still always look to, to United and Everton games from a, an emotional perspective, but from a football standard perspective, these two are the, the standard bearers. Um, yeah, I, I was a little bit frustrated in midfield because I, I don't think in the first half any of them covered themselves in, in, in glory. Um, I think I have total faith in Jurgen Klopp getting us in if we've had a poor half and being able to make a couple of subtle tweaks and, and I have full confidence that we come out a better side in the second half. I think my issue was more around the overreaction of some fans to Jordan Henderson's form so far this season. Um, look, I, I make no apologies for the fact that I love Jordan Henderson. I love what he stands for. I love what he's done for the club. I think he's a, a criminally underrated footballer. But in the same breath, I don't think Jordan Henderson has been himself so far this season. Um, I, I don't think that he played well against Manchester City. Um, I think he struggled a little bit against Brentford. Um, and, and he just hasn't been at full tilt this season. I think it's okay to say that. And then look critically as to reasons why. And I've kind of looked at the game so far and he's played a mix of roles. Uh, I think you're seeing an evolution of this Liverpool team. Gav, we've spoke about it on this show before. Um, I think Klopp is looking, well, certainly with uh, with Harvey Elliott earlier on in the season, um, he was trying to create um, a connection between Salah, Trent and Harvey a little bit higher up the pitch, which was working really well. Um you then, off the back of that, saw Jordan Henderson move to the left-hand side of a midfield three to accommodate Elliot, who had been arguably our best player at the start of the season. That did not suit Henderson. Um, I'm completely right-footed myself, and whenever you put me on the left, it's completely different. Um, your whole body shape, the way you attack the ball, um, it, 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 everything is foreign. Um, so I could understand why he struggled. And I think the, the kind of debate around that was put to bed in the, on that left-hand side. It's got to be either Thiago, who would naturally fill that uh, that role, Naby Keita or Curtis Jones. I don't think Jordan Henderson should ever come into the conversation for that role. He'd probably tell you that himself. What you're starting to see now, though, is Henderson playing more advanced on the right-hand side of a midfield three. And what that has created is gaps. I think Liverpool, from a midfield perspective, we've been probably accustomed to us being so solid for long periods of time. We've had workmen like midfield who leave no gaps, who basically um, are powerhouses uh, with Fabinho, Henderson, Wijnaldum have always been the three. Um Liverpool don't look like themselves at the moment centrally. Um, I think my main issue is Henderson is probably trying to to learn on the job a little bit. Um, he's playing more offensive. Let's not forget he started as a right midfielder, so naturally, I think he I think he has it in the locker. I just don't think he's as naturally suited to it as the likes of a Harvey Elliott would be. Um, and what that's actually causing now is he's probably getting caught ahead of the ball a little bit. And particularly against the likes of a Manchester City. I mean, you can see, look how offensive both teams are in their setup. Look how high Jordan Henderson is. As, uh, uh, you know, when you think of, um, you know, the, the, the areas that he used to pick up. He'd either be a six, he'd be a little bit deeper alongside of Fabino, and they were the blocks in our side, whereas now he's quite offensive. So, 
I think you kind of find uh, seeing a little bit of him being exposed a little bit positionally. Uh, I think it's probably meaning that Fabino's got to cover him a little bit more. I don't think Fabino covered himself in glory from from the standards that he set himself against Manchester City. But it's more the reaction online for me, Gav, that, that annoys me. It's nearly like some fans are delighted at the fact that he's struggling. And I can't understand that. This is a guy who's given a lot for the club. His form over the last, what, two, three, five, what you pick, he's been he's been immense for Liverpool over a sustained period of time. And some fans who have never warmed to him have probably had to wait for a long period of time to be able to throw mud his way. And the reaction towards him now after a, you know, a sticky period, let's be honest, let's call it what it is. He's not been at his best and he'll tell you that himself. I just find it bizarre. Why would you ever delight in the fact that a Liverpool player is struggling? It just, it makes no sense to me whatsoever. Well, I find, I, I would consider myself quite subjective when it comes to these things. You know, I'll watch a game of football and I'll tell you what I think. Um, I, You know, I won't dislike a player and just continuously dislike a player and, until, you know, until he leaves and then tell you I was right all along. That just makes no sense to me. But I have a, I have a thing up on the screen there, which you sent me, by the way. And it's the average positions of Liverpool players against Man City and Porto. And if you look at them, they're literally mirror images of each other, right? Yeah. And do we have, like, Kev, do we have to give credit do we have to give credit to Man City here? Because, and, and the reason I ask you that is, right? Liverpool play Porto and, and the, the the average position for me is literally the same. But the way we play and the way we pressure Porto, we, we make them make mistakes. We nick the ball off them high up the pitch. We don't let ourselves get exposed. They keep men really wired and, and you know, they just can't get through us. Whereas, do you have to give City some credit? Because for me, I think City just played literally a 4-6-0. At the weekend, yeah, right, they did, and and basically said, we're going to put three in midfield, and we're going to make our forward come into midfield as well, and we're going, to, and then wide men may stay wide and may come in, but we're going to outnumber Liverpool in there, and the way of beating Liverpool's press is to actually let them press you, and when you pop balls into midfield, even if you're under pressure, there's an extra man in there, and I, that that's what I thought City done, and. I watched the back, and when I watched the first half, I thought to myself, that's exactly what they're doing. Because when you watch the second half, Liverpool cop it a lot quicker and are a lot more aggressive. And what I mean by that is they don't stand off and they literally move up the park and go, we're making this area much smaller. So if you want to put all them players in there, go ahead and we'll hunt you down. City have to get some credit for this. City were phenomenal in that first half. That was as good a first half performance from them without scoring that I've seen by any club coming to Anfield in years do you think we made him look a bit better, though, Kev? I think we were you, can, you can look at Jordan Henderson, the way he played. It was helter-skelter. It was absolute... He pressed like an animal alone. It was going back to... They didn't hunt in packs. They didn't, there was no organisation to the press. Yeah. And, like, Gav is spot on. City, with the extra false nine, call it what you like, Jack Grealish playing, not on Milner, but playing either central or Jesus wide. They had, they always had overloads. They had overloads virtually all around midfield and they allow you to come. Then bang, 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 you're one on one. Cause everything was geared for Man City to attack James Milner by hook or by crook. No matter which way you go about it, the end result was to get Foden on Milner. And more often than not, they did it. I mean, we were so lucky to hold that. I mean, Allison didn't have much to do in the first half. Fair's fair, 
when it came down to defending the 18-yard box, we did it okay. But outside that, City just pinged us off the park. They forced they want they forced us into traps that they set. And you could see the frustration was building on Henderson. And halfway through the half, he just he went after, I think it was uh Rodri or Bernardo, it was one of the two. He went after him and then he looked around and there was no one there. Yeah. And he just said, What the hell? What am I doing? Why why am I doing it? And it was right back to the old days when they didn't know how to organize the press properly. They didn't have a trigger to move off of. Uh, yeah, but they put the pep to go with it. It was it was really well done. And then come second half, you saw the difference. The difference was night and day. It was more aggressive on the ball, more take the ball, run with it. Like the Salah goal came from Curtis Jones running with the ball, taking someone on, beating him, and laying a pass off. It was having confidence to say, look, I'm not going to lose the ball in this bad area. I'm going to keep the ball and I'm going to do something smart with it. Did well, you see Kofkad? Sorry to jump in. Did you see? It was yeah. very early in the first half. He said, be brave. He kept brave. saying, be brave. And be brave. we weren't brave in the first half. We no, weren't. But, I, but I, don't, I don't think the brave, and I'll come to you on this, Keith. I don't think the bravery was about being on the ball. I think he was talking about being brave off the ball. And what I mean by that is, if... Henderson presses like that, usually. Mm. All things being equal, Keith. He presses like that. What happens is Fabinho moves and, and whoever's on the left side of Jones moves and the two fullbacks move. And what happens, and the key to it, is usually our centre-backs who push right up and say, do you know what? We're going to back ourselves by pushing right up to this halfway line and pushing our midfielders on and pushing everyone on top of this team to make them go long because we trust their ability to A, win it in the air or B, win a foot race. Right? And what I think, what I th- where I think the bravery was lacking in first half, as opposed to the second half, was the f- the, the centre backs were too deep for me, too deep. Mm. So the so the midfielders were looking around, going, "Do I go with Jordan Henderson?" The other two midfielders are going, "Do I go with Jordan Henderson and push and the forwards?" Or I'm looking around here and going, "There's, there's 15 yards behind me here, right, of a big gap." where they can exploit, and we have an extra man standing in the midfield, i.e. Grealish, who's literally just passing a midfielder onto somebody and going, I'll stand here free, and I'm always the out ball. Now, it might have been Grealish, but he was taking a man in order to make someone else free. Do you get me? The, the bravery was off the ball for me, Keith, and that improved massively in the second half. I agree. I actually think what got lost in the analysis of this game was just how compact Manchester City were. In fact, more compact than I've ever seen them in a game of, 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 of any magnitude. Manchester City, more often than not, go in, dominate the ball, dominate possession, and kind of just take it off you and, and we're going to kind of beat you into submission. Liverpool and City games usually a bit different. As you said before, we, we step a, a few yards further forward up the pitch to try and, and, and press them on the ball. But what I found was so interesting was how just the, the narrative that City didn't have a striker actually played to their advantage because they had the lights of Phil Foden. You had your lights of Bernardo Silva. When Liverpool had the ball, they tucked in and they protected Cancelo and they prote- and, 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 and Walker to no end. And so it, it, when they almost let us have the ball a lot more than I would have anticipated in areas where they were comfortable for us to have that ball. So whereas before where we push up, we win the ball high up the pitch and play in their half, we weren't winning the ball in that press because, you know, we didn't have the confidence to step up that extra level. I think a lot of that comes down to the fact that in the back of everybody's mind, we know that James Milner, 
uh, at right back just does not have the pace. If you get that press wrong against Manchester City, you and you leave that gap behind, they will pass three passes and you're through. So I think the defense did have that in their mind where they said, you know what, we're going to sit back a little bit. We're going to protect. We're going to protect the space, particularly on the right hand side. We know they're going to attack. We're going to protect that space and make sure that the runners in behind you, Grealishes, your Foden's, your Jesuses. Uh, 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 will not pop up in that space when the counter-attack uh, uh, comes down. Where what Manchester City actually did was they actually said, you can have the ball in your half and you can even take it uh, past the, f- um, the halfway line. But we don't believe that you're going to beat um, beat this block. And to be perfectly honest with you, I thought Bernardo Silva in particular and Phil Foden in defending the wide areas were absolutely phenomenal. And it frustrated us to no end in that wide areas because that, that's where we make a lot of our chances in those wide positions. And a caveat also to the wide positions, the fact that Foden and um, Foden in particular, I felt was able to be a little bit more brave than maybe he would have been had Trent Alexander-Arnold been playing, was that he wasn't being forced back a couple of yards to defend even deeper. He was actually able to step out a lot more and, and attack the space because he knew at the end of the day, James Milner's not going to come out as far as Trent Alexander-Arnold or he's not going to have to press Milner as hard uh, as Trent Alexander-Arnold. So he can position himself in between, you know, between your can- uh, almost Cancelo and Silva. He was able to position himself in that in, 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 and block that space. With that space being blocked, Jordan Henderson can't create anything. Mo Salah couldn't create anything. So, as I said, I, I, I actually think that from, from, a, from a pressing perspective, it was difficult because actually City, you know, they didn't allow themselves to be... Um, uh, they didn't allow themselves to be um, uh, kind of taken advantage of in their own half. In, in, in my opinion, not at all. Gav, you see that, that graphic, mate? Pull that graphic back up there because you, you just when you pulled it up, it, it struck me, right? Look at what City have been able to do on the left-hand side there. Imagine being James Milner, 36 yeah, years old. playing. Yeah. You're playing against four players there. Mm. You've got a left-back. You've got the, the, the left-centre midfielder. So basically what City are doing there is what Liverpool tried to do in the, the Harvey Elliott role. I don't want to call it that all season, but, you know, create those kind of... We've seen it on, so many times on this show. We were talking about Elliott, Trent and Salah. You could basically throw a blanket over the three of them. And like Kev said before, he was bang on the money. City had constant overloads. You look at that left-hand side up against James Milner. He's up against four players. He's up against four, four players at 36 thing, years of age. The other thing as well with that, Cancelo never committed going forward. Cancelo is no. for me if you're doing a list of the best three fullbacks in the Premier League he's in the list for both sides he's in the right back and the left back best top three fullbacks in the league he's phenomenal but he's he can go either way so he, he's predominantly right footed so you've got him Foden you had De Bruyne and Rodri feeding them as well but that four against two because Salah never came back. Salah never. That was the trade off that both sides made. Really, Foden, Milner never really ventured past the halfway line. And the opposite side, Salah never came back. Cancelo stayed back, so there was always a back three. And when Virgil was trying the long balls, he was trying the long balls over Kyle Walker. I mean, it was the most ridiculous waste of time and energy to try to put, punt a sixty-yard ball over Kyle Walker's head. It's just Sadio isn't going to get in behind Kyle Walker, even on a good day. Do you know what I mean? Kyle Walker is probably the quickest player in the league. So we were forced into making bad decisions. 
and we were forced into those bad decisions by frustration. City for forcing it. I think I think City used the extra man uh, as I as I seen it, but well, both defensively and offensively. So they were using that extra man to block off those those lanes, you know, left and right. I def mm. I definitely think that. And then attacking wise, they were they were basically just kept shifting their players, uh, rotating the players onto wares, and then just going right. Their centre backs are back here. Grealish or whoever it might be is going to drop in then and make an extra man. So both defensively and offensively, they were looked compact, like Keith said. But then, but then offensively, they were able to be oppressed by having that extra man. And I think of Liverpool, and you see in the second half if, when Liverpool pushed up and went, okay, if you want to leave him in there, leave him in there. But we're pushing right up on him now. We're not having any of this bollocks anymore because it was bollocks. Let's be honest about it. And yeah. we went right. We're going to play our fucking game now. Whatever we tried, because I think Liverpool tried to be clever and it didn't work. I will put it out there. But the cleverness disappeared. We just went right. This is Liverpool and City, and we're just going to go for it. And that's where it went. But Jamie, just quickly, I want I want to come come back to you. And I want you brought this up, so I want I'll let you onto this before I let off the next um the next sound effect, okay? Um so it's this. Since the Premier League in 2018, Liverpool in 120 games have amassed 279 points, Manchester City 278. The next one is 57 points behind in Chelsea. Um Liverpool have picked up 59 points more than Manchester United in that time and picked up 78 points more than Tottenham in that time. Um Arsenal, I don't know why they're on the fucking list. Um <laughs> but Jamie, you asked me the other day how good it is. So you tell me, how good are these two sides? Like, before we get into that, just look at the goal difference. Look yeah, at the goal yeah. difference. That's the that's the big one for me. And, you know, as football fans, I think, you know, don't get me wrong, I, I, I love seeing solid defensive teams. You know, you think back to, to the teams that Jose would have set up over the years, the likes of the Arsenal team, very solid. We We as fans want to see goals. And the consistency that these two teams have displayed over the last uh, however many years has been nothing short of breathtaking. It's not... And look, I think the the elephant in the room here as well that you've got to say, and this is me, yeah, absolutely with my Liverpool hat on, but also just with a bit of common sense. For Jurgen Klopp to even be close to Manchester City, given the comparative squads, the comparative spends, he has been overachieving with this Liverpool squad to such a degree. He is literally such a special manager. And don't get me wrong, I think Pep is brilliant, uh, fantastic manager. But when the conversation starts around what the two have, have, have been able to achieve with their respective squads, it's not, even a, it's not even a conversation for me. Liverpool, to be anywhere near Manchester City there is an unbelievable achievement. And if you think back to maybe some of the, the the title wins of old. I think I've seen it today. I think Manchester United were winning leagues in, in and around 80 points. You know, you think of what this Liverpool team and City have delivered in terms of consistency. Liverpool lost a game. You know, Liverpool lost a game and played in a way where I, there was a game actually, it was, it was at the, the Etihad. And I think it was when Klopp played the front four for the first time. And Gary Neville made some uh, point in commentary. And anyone that has played the game at every, any level knows what he means, right? You look at when Liverpool and City play each other. Usually the defensive line is so high that the, the, the centre of the pitch is basically co- completely condensed, right? 
both teams are that brave in how they set up that they trust themselves with that much space in behind them with world-class pacey players. It's the ultimate game of risk and reward. And that for me, aside from the consistency, it's the bravery of both managers. It's not like Thomas Tuchel, who tried to stink the place out when Manchester City played Chelsea the other week and they tried to, to take what they can. Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola are the ultimate brave offensive manager who will try to put their game plan on whoever they play, irrespective of whether they're a brilliant team or not. I think that's the thing that stands, uh, stand, will stand the test of time for me is, is these two teams are redefining the way that teams should set up. They swarm teams. Everything all right there? The <laughs> I thought, I thought Pep had heard what I was saying and getting pissed off. He's, having, <laughs> you know, he's, behind you. he's fuming, absolutely fuming. Uh, no, I think for me, it's, it's the setups of both teams. It's the bravery of both managers and the consistency, the consistency that they have been able to, to deliver and the entertaining football game after game after game that they have been able to, to put on. We're, we're privileged to witness both teams. I th- I think they're both excellent. I mean, we move on now, but I think th- I think they're both unbelievable, right? But uh, one thing I will say is, and we- we've spoken uh, all of us, uh, anyone else that, that that's been on this channel or on our socials, wherever it is, about how Liverpool can beat you in different ways, right? And um, we can we can go head to head with you. We can sit back and hit you on the break. We can completely dominate you. We can whatever, make it physical, whatever. We're, we're especially around for me, 18, 19, 19 20, unbelievable at it. And you notice something in City last season where they came, became a bit more pragmatic, but became better for it. But they weren't going gung-ho and leaving spaces. Um, I remember them playing away to Wolves, I think, and watching them going, they're literally letting Wolves have the ball here. And they're not pushing so many p- players forward, but they're so clinical at what they're doing. It was that Molyneux, they fucking tore them apart. I think it only ended up probably 2-0, but they were unbelievable, right? But when it comes to Liverpool against Man City, I think they egg each other on. I think both managers egg each other on and go, this yeah. is my philosophy. Game of chicken. This, this, yeah, this is my a front and centre philosophy and this is my front and fo- uh, centre philosophy and they both go let's go for it and I, I genuinely think to do because I think it'll be a long time before you see a Liverpool go to the Etihad or a City come to Anfield and go we're sitting right back here am I going to be pragmatic am I going to have a defensive game plan I think they genuinely egg each other on to the point where they go do you know what? It's literally like a free hit. Let's just go for it. And I, I would genuinely think that when it comes to the games after at Anfield or the Etihad and they sit down, because they always sit down and have a drink afterwards or whatever, Klopp would anyway, he probably brings a bag of cans with him. But, you know, <laughs> I genuinely think they sit down and go, yeah, it was good, wasn't it? Because, and they, Klopp in particular believes in entertainment and I think it just comes to the point where they go, yeah, let's entertain and, and they, neither of them will back down from that philosophy, which I think is great. Do you want the next, um, I think he's done really well on that segment. Really, really well. So, there you go. Quite right, too. Quite right. You like that one? That's good, isn't it? There's one here called Glockenspiel. I thought it was a made-up word, but somebody informed me that that's actually a real um, instrument. I used to play that in school, yeah, primary school, the Glockenspiel. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no way. It's thing, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, someone's, uh, Barry Lyndon, sorry, there's a super chat there saying, I know it's not on the agenda tonight, but what are you guys thoughts on the Newcastle takeover? We're going to touch on it later. Also, international, you can fuck right off, says Ned, uh, <laughs> so fair play to him. Uh, there is glockenspiel there, and, and somebody said, could you just get a, uh, Barry, Barry Lyndon, he says, um, Gav's bestest, most bestest sound is just cracking a can. 
Um, we could just open, yeah, we could just get cans open and company. <laughs> <laughs> so all, all, um, all, all suggestions are welcome. Um, it's just something we're trying only on this show. Now. Getting incredibly do- giddy by these sound effects. I'm yeah, but you're yeah, waiting for the next energy. <laughs> but the thing is, like, I'm not going to do it on every fucking show. Like, you know, what I mean, no one's, you, you can't be tuning in on a Sunday going, oh, what's going to come tonight? It's not going to happen. It's only for this show because we're trying to Tim Westwood. Yeah. Tim Westwood, full black. Yeah, yeah, because we were trying to keep like literally this show was going on for three hours. Like, it was so we're trying to trim it down and this, this is the best way I can do with people getting excited about um, sound effects so they hurry up talk finish and go right hit me with the sound effects so that's where we are now on to the fucking thing we really want to talk about Mo Salah right um, I can't stop watching that goal the weekend um, there was a girl on Twitter that had a video from the cop for her YouTube channel Um Chloe Boxham is her name, or Bloxham is her name, and the video is unbelievable. You haven't seen it, go and watch it. The tweet is no. just a video, and it says, I suggest you turn your phone on its side to watch this, and it's out of this world. But Kev, I'll come to you first. Um, first of all, the goal is just ridiculous. It's the only word I can use for it is ridiculous, right? Yeah, it is. And secondly, how good is he? Is he for you the best player in the world right now? I think the only one who can talk to him at the minute is Robert Lewandowski. Okay. But oh. that is it. No one else is close. Um, and to bear in mind, put it in perspective, Salah, I think the Premier League is the deepest league in world football at the minute. Which, what I mean by that is Norwich went out, spent 30, sold 30 million quid's worth of players, invested 30 million quid from players that were doing it from mid-range clubs in Germany. So when we're when Salah's playing against relegation fodder in our league, he's playing against 15, 20 million pound players regularly. And he's churning out numbers that are just beyond belief. This season, he's on target to beat goals and assists his first season at the club. He's on target to beat that. He had 44 it, goals in his fourth season. He's on target to hit 50 goals and assists so far this season. And the the fact that he is playing, I think if you brought up the graphics or you look at any heat maps, this season Salah is playing wider. He's playing further wide on the right. He's staying wide and not coming in until really late. And you'll see the left winger and striker play more like um, left forward and striker where the two of those on that side of the pitch are close together. The left centre mid tends to hang back a bit more and interlink with Robbo. They're further spread out on the left-hand side, where the right-hand side, you'll have Trent and whoever's playing right mid, but Salah's pushed wide. And he's giving himself more space and more time to attack the fullback. I think he's thinking about the game more. I think he's more confident than I've ever seen him on his right foot. I mean, it was it was frustrating watching him because even though you knew what he was going to do, he was always going to chop back onto his left foot, whip a cross in, try for a curler for the far post. Now he's confident enough to go on his right foot. If you're a fullback, I think, like I said, I think Cancelo is a phenomenal fullback. And you want Salah coming into Cancelo. If you're Cancelo, I want him coming into my strong foot, to my right foot. That's what Jose did with Luke Shaw when they had so much success against Salah was they pushed out onto him and this put a right footer as well as Luke Shaw doubling up on him. Now he's just further wider. He's just playing further wide. And he's saying, yeah, just come on. 
come at me because if you come at me, I'll pop it back into midfield and I'll go. If not, you'll give me space and I'll run at you. Either way, I'm going to create a chance for someone else or I'm going to score myself. He's got you as a fan now, edge your seat. He's like, he's going to do something. I want to watch Liverpool because I want to see what Mo Salah is going to do. It's very few players who've been able to do that, that I would go out of my way to watch him, even if I wasn't a Liverpool fan. I would go out of my way to watch him because I did it with Zidane when Real Madrid were ever on Sky Sports on a Saturday night. And back when they had all of Galacticos and everything like that, I'd watch Zidane. I love Zidane. I think he's a phenomenal player. Salah's there with me with that now, where it doesn't matter what game it is, I'll go out of my way to watch him. He's that good. You know, there's only a handful of players in the last 10 years that you go out of your way to watch because they're phenomenal players. I think he's he's different gravy. He really is. He's He's got way surpassed any expectations I ever had of him. I think he's just unreal. Keith. Um, I'm going to flash some up on the screen here now for you. Um, and it's this. Since joining Liverpool in 2017, Mo Salah has more combined goal and assists than any other player. He currently sits on 101 goals and 37 assists, um, which is a total of 138. Uh, the nearest player to him is Harry Kane um, with 88 goals and 22 assists. So that's, uh, what, 28 goal um Involvements less in tour places. Jamie Vardy, Sterling with 95. The, the progression of this player, Keith, is what gets me because the edge of the sea stuff is, is interesting from Kev. You know, when, when he first came along, you were just like, what the fuck's going on here? Like, this fella just keeps scoring goals. And then you just got used to it. You know, 20 goals, 25 goals, 24, whatever it is, right? For over the season, I'm sure someone would be able to, to tell me um, his, his goal return over the last four, four seasons. But now when you look at him, Keith, it's like, you know, he has the goals, he has the pace, he has the assists, but now he's getting more and more involved in games. He's bringing more and more players into the into the game, into play. He's not just, we spoke about it a while back, about he's not just getting a fullback one-on-one and having a go with him. He's actually been involved in Harvey Elliott being there in particular, about around triangles and beating teams, actually playing through teams. And that's where I think giving him the, that's where I think the recognition's coming from now, Keith. The fact that he's not just a guy that exposes a defender and scores goals, he's exposing teams. He's, ex, he's exposing complete, you know, back lines with his mates and they're going, Jesus, he's actually interplaying now and all. It's, it's all coming together for him. Absolutely. What I've loved about Mo Salah um, is I've got a thing for players, uh, particularly if if, um, maybe English is not their first language, that they come out and they do press conferences. I've always been a big believer that when the players come out, they speak uh, on behalf of the club afterwards, they they, they come out and, and, and they give their assessments, that they they, they genuinely have a, a, a deep, you know, like, they see themselves as a bit of an ambassador for the club. And I've always felt that Mo Salah does not get the credit he deserves because he's because Suarez never did it. Torres never did it. Coutinho never did it. They never came out and spoke for the club and, and really, like, like, wore the badge with honour. And I feel like Mo Salah wears that badge with honour. And, and I genuinely believe that he loves playing for Liverpool. And this season has seen him step up into an even more... He's taken more responsibility, probably more than ever before, because he's obviously seen what's happened last season. He still believes in the players this season. 
and he, he he's he's put it in on himself to be like, do you know what? Actually, I've got Ronaldo coming in, I've got Lukaku coming in, I've got Messi's making the move to PSG. I want to prove to all of these guys that I am a level above these guys, and I want to do it at Liverpool. And he doesn't. Re- I, I just don't feel like he gets that praise. It surprised me from the likes of Jamie Carragher that a couple of seasons ago he they, they were talking about how we could potentially let Salah go if we were going to get let player go. Maybe it could be Salah. It always baffled me because I was like, but this guy really plays for the shirt. And now I think after that City performance, by the way, just off topic, every time Salah scores a brilliant, brilliant, mesmerising goal, we always draw. Yeah. Yeah, the Tottenham one. The Tottenham one is a crime against football. The Everton one as well. (laughs) He he didn't even win the Puskas award for the Everton one, didn't he? (laughs) With Lovren falling on his face. Um, but no, going, going back to that, you know, it's everyone's now everyone's falling over themselves to give him the praise he should have been getting uh, a, a couple of years ago. And it's not necessarily for, for just for the goals, you know, for the assists as well. 37 assists, so he has more assists than Harry Kane, who gets all the praise in the world for being a striker that helps his team, that is a playmaker as well as being a goal scorer, but he has more assists than, than, than Kane. Sterling gets that type of praise as well for being an assist maker and, 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 and being creative and helping the team in the build-up play. He has more assists than, than, than Salah as well. And yet, the British media were piling onto him, calling him greedy and selfish. And and, and, and sitting there, you know, like, oh, we just don't know why Salah doesn't get the praise. We, we just can't put our finger on it. What yeah, could Jay, you not but, put your finger on? But, but do you know what the thing, the interesting thing is? Goldstein said, and, and, and uh, I might be paraphrasing a bit, and he said, he just doesn't do it for me. And I went, what the fuck do you want him to do for you? No. You know, he said, you know Do you know what Goldstein does? Is Goldstein knows, and talks important to it, every journalist in the country does it, nothing generates clicks like a Liverpool story. Yeah. And nothing mm-hmm. generates clicks on a Liverpool story more than a striker or a forward or conflict. TalkSport are masters at it. They'll trot out these presenters to say and do whatever it takes to get clicks and generate traffic. That's all it is. And yeah, but my issue with that, Kev, my issue with that, Kev, is that, is, uh, and uh, you're dead right, but I, I, I can't understand how people can look Quiet. at themselves after doing that. You know, no, if you have an opinion, by all means have an opinion, but don't be so vague in it. Jamie... I want to talk to you about the, the contract situation because I have a little theory here, right? And I know nothing about his contract situation. And I'll put it out there. I don't think anyone knows what, what their contract situation is. No one knows fuck all about it, right? In my opinion. And, you know, I, I tweeted the other day, it's amazing after that goal that every journal in the country now knows how much Mo Salah wants and what he's doing. <laughs> and he doesn't, he's, the Liverpool fans don't like him. And, you know, he's not adored enough and he's all complete and utter horseshit, right? Um, from top to bottom and, and wherever. International uh, week as well, mate. Wherever, they need where, to write wherever, wherever publication they wear, I'm not going to name them. People know who they are. Abs- how you're reading this shit is unbelievable. But what I will say is that the credit that's coming from coincides, right? With the fact that there may be, maybe, and I don't think there is, um, because I've no proof of it, there may be a contract issue, right? I think when you look at Liverpool and the lack of, the lack of, um, I suppose, adoration he gets outside of Liverpool was because, oh, he's Liverpool true and true. And, you know, look at him and he's fucking brilliant. And, you know, don't say anything because he's, he's, t- he's tied to Liverpool. I think there's a bit of, and I don't know if you agree with me, Jamie, but all of a sudden now, oh, he wants this amount of money. And to try actually, to try actually nearly force something in this and, and make, cause a bit of a rift 
let's give him shit loads of credit now. Let's give it to him now. And his advisor would see and go, look, you're, they're calling you the best player in the world and if Liverpool don't pay you, go here. It's literally like a campaign, a, a reverse campaign. I don't know if you think I'm right, Jamie, but that's that was just my thinking on it. I think journos have been badly exposed by the fact that Mo has made them all look very foolish. I think that's the that's the key here. Liverpool, Liverpool fans have never, in my opinion, not undervalued Mo. I think journalists outside of Liverpool have undervalued Mo. They, for some reason, they don't seem to want to give him the credit. I think you touched on it before. Harry Kane gets far more credit than Mo does, and just look at the numbers that he's been delivering. I think we're we're entering a realm now, though, with the contract. Uh, conversation where Liverpool do have a wage structure. I understand the conversations or the uh, the resistance in most cases to not want to break that wage structure. And if you look down East Langs Road and you look at Manchester United and they've given big contracts to players that don't deliver consistently, that's when you have a problem because the players that are then delivering consistently go into the manager's door and say, well, that guy who's been on the bench or who hasn't delivered numbers for X amount of games is getting double the money of me. Mo Salah is not that player. Mo Salah is delivering numbers that Liverpool fans haven't seen. That is 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 world level. Mo, Mo Salah is one, is one of the best two, three players in the world for me at the moment. He deserves every penny of the money that is being mooted. He wants supposedly, and again, pinch of salt with this, parity with the likes of Kevin De Bruyne. He absolutely deserves to be on that wage, in my opinion. The other thing that you've got to factor in is he's fit as a fiddle. If you are looking at a role model of how to live your life as a professional, I think there was a story that came out, Harvey Elliott was going to eat a piece of bread or a piece of pasta, I'm sure somebody will, will quote me, bread. probably Chris Brack. Bread. Chris Brack's great, but it was a bread, was it? Um, <laughs> Chris always corrects me because he, he's the stato, but he, he basically said, no, how many have you had today? That's no more. You don't do that. Le- Mo lives his life to be the best version of himself on the pitch that he can be. He deserves every penny that he should get. And I think for me, I so I have my time as a Liverpool fan and me and my son, we were watching the game against City. And this is no word of a lie. When Salah scored that goal, I remember shouting, me, me, missus, my son, we were all watching it. I said, again, filled with emotion, you know, I'm an emotional guy, Gav. I was like, that's the best thing I've ever seen on a football pitch. That's the best. I kept shouting it. And then next minute, Josh, my son, he's only nine. He just ran out into the road shouting. He literally ran out into the road oh, shouting. Yeah. So I followed him. So the two, like the the release of emotion from seeing something like that happen. And it's not, look, we're not playing Norwich here, no disrespect. We're not playing a car, you know, a, a, a meaningless cup game. This was at the highest stakes moments possible against a team that doesn't concede chances, never mind goals. And he made them look silly. Like, to be a fan and being able to watch somebody operate at this level consistently, there was two players that I always held in my time as a fan as the as the pinnacle. Stephen Gerrard is my hero for lots of reasons. He was always the best for me and and still is. Look, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna claim otherwise. I always used to say that the most talented that I saw was Luis Suarez. I don't believe that anymore. I think Mo Salah is above Luis Suarez for me. Um, in lots of different ways. And for him to even be in that conversation now, 
shows what an impact that he has had on on the club, the fan base um, over a short period of time. And I would be giving him every penny that he requests and secure him at the club for as long as physically possible. I don't even know if I answered your question there, Gavin. No, just went you, off on a tangent. No, you on did. How you much did. I and, and I think by by the way you've said it, and and giving him every penny or whatever it might, I'm not, I I don't go along with give him whatever he wants because he could just turn around and go, I want a million quid a week. And, you know, mm. what I mean, that's no. you can't do that. Well, parity, isn't it, with De Bruyne, the yeah. likes of the best players in the league, which he has been consistently now. Yeah, and I said this the other night on on the flat back four, and I'll say it again. We, for me, are at the stage with Mo Salah, where Barcelona were with Lionel Messi. And what I mean by that is, is that he's an exception to the rule. All right. Yeah. Now, Lionel Messi is an exception to fucking any rule because he's the best player that's ever walked the earth, in my opinion. Right. But with us, like, we've signed up Van Dyke, we've signed up Allison, Fabinho, Henderson, Trent Alexander Arnold, Robertson, wherever, there's, there's probably more. And listen, they're not turning around and saying, uh, well, if I get this, can I have, if he gets this, can I have that? I don't, I, I think, I think, Regardless of how much those players rate themselves, and they right, rightly so, they should. I don't think any of them deny this fella whatever he gets because I think he's he's literally the fulcrum of this club for me at the moment. He's the fulcrum of this club at the moment, and I think when you look at Barcelona, who look they're in the shit at the moment because they were giving Griezmann eight hundred grand a week and mad shit like your man Sergio Dest is, is it Sergio Dest or um, two hundred forty or something? Yeah, like he was on anyway. ten grand or something. Ajax. And Young and 465. Yeah, and he rocks up a bar and he goes, just take what you want. It always reminds me of the one with um, the left fall that left Derby and went to Leeds. Oh, uh, oh Seth, Johnson. God, Seth, Johnson. Seth Johnson. Seth Johnson walks into a uh, Seth yeah. Johnson walks into a meeting with Leeds, looking for. I think he was hoping for fifteen grand a week. Peter Rizdale sitting there with a million quid worth of fish in a fish tank <laughs> at Ellen Road, and just literally throws forty grand at him. And he's like, "What the fuck?" Did they literally had to try play a kill, walk out of the room, and pretend to discuss it, where they were trying dying to get back through the door. But the thing with me is, is that I think we're at, and I'm not putting them on the pedestal, uh, Lionel Messi, but the situation is. These players may be all great, but this fella is just a complete exception. And and if it's, I think, 300 grand, 350 grand is more than manageable for Liverpool. Like yeah. somebody says there, like, if you add it up, um, it was in the, it was in the thing there. Like, I think it's over the course, it'll cost you about 104 million quid to secure Mo Salah for the next four to five well, years. And I think it's, I'll it's, tell you it's, one it's money, thing. money absolutely well spent. I'll tell you one thing, though. I don't believe for a second the likes of Alisson, Van Dijk, Fabinho, Robertson, Trent commit the best years of their career to Liverpool without an understanding already in place that Salah's done. Mm. You know, I don't believe for a second that they commit that long. They're be- especially Virgil. Virgil could go anywhere in the world and command whatever wage he damn wants. Mm. So I don't believe for a second that something isn't in place already. That either it's waiting to be announced or it's the finer details or is it, you know, trademarks on whatever image rights. So it's trivial stuff. I don't believe for a second that these players haven't talked and discussed this yeah. amongst themselves for <clears throat> Are you staying? Are you signing? Who's, you know, yeah. yeah. I, I, and listen, they're normal, they're normal lads at the end of the day yeah. in a walking environment. Keith, you exactly. want to say something on this? But, but no, I, I, for me, I think, as I, I, I've long been of the case that, you know, football is evolving. And I, I, spe- I spoke about this a lot during the preseason when it comes to transfers. Transfer fees, I believe, is going to become less and less important as it goes on. And actually, 
tying players down is going to be like making a new signing. And I know it used to be quite a joke. Where it was, oh, it's like, no, it's like a new signing when a player comes in from an injury or, 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 or whatever. But mm. I stick by... It 11 times now we have. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But I stick by this point. Mo Salah signing an extension for Liverpool will be the biggest signing in the Premier League um, for the summer and the winter transfers will be the biggest and most important signing um, uh, in the league. Without a shadow of a doubt, it will be bigger than Ronaldo. It will be bigger than Lukaku. It will be bigger than all of them. And, you know, I, I, the, the, the hope is that the lack of activity in outward uh, um, uh, transfer fees and, and spending money was so that we could tie use that those funds to tie down our players. And actually, when you say, for example, it would be £104 million for a contract over four or five years, then I'd rather that money got spent on Mo Salah's contract rather than buying three or four players that everybody on Twitter says is going to be the next big thing. And, yeah. you know, that, that idea of giving the players the money and the signing on bonuses and, and, and your wage structure, I think is going to eclipse transfer fees moving forward. And I think something like Salah with the extension could be the, the, the start of that. I think picking up players, you know, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Salah was to get the extension for four years, if Salah leaves <laughs> on the three and, 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 and after, after all of the, all this is done because of the, uh, the size of the contracts. That's the direction I think football's going into. Yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot of people. Sorry, a lot of people have the uh, in the chat are saying, you know, does this affect transfers going forward? We won't get any players if we do this with Salah, and I don't know. Like, I'm not a financial expert on it. Well, what's what's the cost of not doing it? Oh, the cost of not doing it is just monumental. It's monumental. You'll see. You're seeing it this season with Barcelona. They're sat in ninth, and odds are they're not going to qualify for the Champions League next year. So without more investment, they're screwed. Mm. You know the key I mean? thing there, Kev, is, is the risk. So put it this way, right? How much money would you need to spend to bring somebody in of a similar level to Salah and there's still the risk that he doesn't deliver the yeah. numbers that Mo would? Mo will deliver those numbers now consistently mm. for the next two, three, four, five years, given but, the players that have already been tied down. I think, let me let me ask a question around the room, right? Because I find that interesting. Um, if you talk about all-time Premier League 11s, Right, best players ever, and let's say you're going a four-three-three. Does Salah get in on the right-hand side of your four-three-three in the greatest Premier League teams yeah. ever now at this stage? Easily, Easily. yeah, yeah, Easily, yeah. I, I think he, I, I think he's played two hundred and ten games for Liverpool, and he's about has he a hundred and sixty goal involvements in that? It's yeah. it's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, I, it's I can't ridiculous. think of any. The only right winger that I could think of that could get anywhere near him was Robin, but Robin was never that player in the Premier League. Robin wasn't the player that he developed into at Bayern when he was with Chelsea. He was erratic. He was he wasn't consistent like like Salah is. Well, free, no other right winger that I can think of off the top of my head gets anywhere near close. No, well, Free World says are we talking ourselves out of future signings? Yeah, people need to just relax. I don't think so. You know what I mean? Like this is this is this is you have to take this on its merits. Um, one word answer um, before we, we've done terribly on this subject. By the way, we ran over time, and um, I'm gonna <laughs> have to find. Salah, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have to find somebody to give out to me about it. Um, Send it to Mo. He's got loads of cash. He's <laughs> <laughs> Quick one word answer around the room. Um, Mo Salah, new deal at Liverpool, signed or not signed? Yes or no, Kev? Yeah, signed, done. Yeah, Keith. No problem. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, Jamie. Complete confidence, done deal. 
Okay, good stuff. Um, I'm I'm with you all on that. I think he does sign a deal, and I, I wouldn't be even thinking about future, uh, how it affects future transfers. I don't think no. it does. That's being honest with you. Um, no, I don't no, know what to go. Well, can we go with some glock and spiel to end this one? Because I, I yes. I'm, all right, here we go. Right. Let's do it. Woo! What is that? Nice. That's Love like. That. It's, it's do you remember like those uh, you were kids basically you have a little you oh, have a little have thing you, yeah you have a little beat oh, the bars and, and you have, have a stick the, and you just go on the stick yeah. that's it yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> alright I didn't know that Every was called yeah just uh, my son has one you just go get your music yoke over there and um, he bashes it so um, I'm going to tell him it's glockenspiel now from tomorrow and he's going to think I'm weird <laughs> which is good um, right winners and losers let's get these out of the way um, officially we have two minutes left um, no sorry we've seven minutes left I'm going to extend that to 12 okay and give myself a slap on the wrist um, after this show so we're going to go around the room for our winners and go around the room for our losers Kev I'm going to start with you for your winner of the week please Brighton I think Brighton. what Brighton, what they're the way they play, and the fact that they're playing Adam Lallana in a six, and he's looking, he's looking good doing it. Do you know what I mean? The fact that Cucurella was such an intelligent buy to buy from a player who starred for Spain at under twenty one level, who's come into the Premier League and kicked on again. He looks a proper left mid. He's a wing back, stroke left mid, stroke left winger. I love the I love the way they play. I love the way they attack. Um, I think they're in a justifiable position in the league. I think they're just Graham Potter's done a phenomenal job. Brighton, well, yeah, absolutely delighted with them. Good show, good show. Um, oh, what a show here! Own Bork says, "Have you got a soundbite of Keith playing the Tim Whistle?" Of course, um, <laughs> Keith did once play. Not not Keith on the show now. Our, our, our very own Keith Plunkett, of course, after we've reached some sort of milestone. It was probably the amount of cans we drank on the K. show one night. Um, he played he played the Fairy Tale New York, I think, on um, Tim Whistle while Grace tried to sing. Grace sang it. Yeah, so uh, that was that was good. Um, but um, that's a show. I might try to actually go and find that clip and... Just yeah, that'd be amazing. Actually, that is a shout and a half. Uh, thanks for that, Owen. Uh, Jamie, your winner of the week, please. Uh, I was going to say Ollie got a soul shot, but can I change it now to the sound effects? Because the sound effects have made my Wednesday. I'm not going right, to lie. You can to have it. the sound effects, but I want I want to go. I want to. You have Ollie going a soldier as your winner of the week. I do, yeah. Do you know what it is, right? Have you got the tweet, Gav, that I sent you today mm. that just sums up the madness? I think this is brilliant. Yeah, maybe the problem with Man United is that the big story is an ex-manager who shouldn't be in the picture having views on an ex-player who shouldn't have come back not being selected by an ex-player who shouldn't be the manager. Like, that just show. sums up the madness of Old Trafford. And there was a moment... Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, for me, is is painfully out of his depth. He's kind of, you know, when you p- used to play football manager and you used to, used to buy all the best players uh, or the, the, be- the top players and not know what to do with them and how are you going to fit them in? He reminds me of that, but there was a moment, there was a moment on uh, in the Everton game which made me laugh, right? And he just... He's just an awkward fella who just there's a bang of Alan Partridge off. I don't know what it is. He's just there's something about him that that that, that makes me laugh. And there was a moment where Rafa was on the sideline uh, giving it uh, giving it the you know the instructions, and he was there. And, you know all this. Yeah. You go there. You do all this. And Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer copped the fact that the camera was on them both, and then did this like weird kind of laughy jokey thing with one of the players where you know like uh, he was trying to be like their pal. It was very Alan Partridge, 
and just started like uncontrollably laughing when there was like a minute to go and Everton were were 1-1 with United at home. He just has this uncanny knack of brightening up my weekends and he doesn't even mean to do it. And the fact now that he's got the, the, the voter confidence means that he's going to be sticking around for a while. So I am absolutely all in on the uh, on the Ollie train. Good stuff. Well, first, good Mike Phelan has signed an extension as well. Yeah, and they're giving Carrigan the as well. It's 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 the crack, <laughs> isn't it? It's the All crack. The likely lads. It is. I got a bit worried when I seen the vote of confidence earlier because that usually means that two games there they tell him to piss off. But if they're giving backroom staff big contracts and all, it's like yeah, game ball. Um, Keith, winner of yes. the week. My winner of the week uh, is Phil Foden. Okay. Um, there hasn't been a player that I have seen for an opposition team play quite as well as Phil Foden did on that left-hand side. But when I think City and, and, and Liverpool, I think the only one that really filled me with dread was Leroy Sane. Anytime Leroy Sane, you knew he was fit, you knew he was ready to play, you, we knew that we, were, we had a game, game on our hands. And, you know, uh, putting up these the, the touch maps, not only was the guy everywhere, as I was saying earlier, you know, he, he, he just as much filled in and helped out Cancelo as he did when he was, you know, causing Milner to consider retirement. I mean, the guy was literally all over the place. And this is now, I think, the third, is it the third, third game now where he's had a big performance against Liverpool? Local he's life the new from Olivier Giroud, Keith. He always, he always scores against us. Yeah. Yes, exactly. You know that's spot on. Spot on. He is. He is the city. Yeah, true. but I think I think one of the but games he, he scored in. I think one of the games he scored in Liverpool were drunk, weren't he? Oh <laughs> yeah, no, that was when we gave him the. But you know the clinicalness of his finishing, and 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 I think the, the, the why he's the big winner for me is the fact that he eclipsed the hundred million pound man, and now there's a big debate that's been that's going to start roaring on of whether Jack Grealish should even deserve to play ahead of Phil Foden. And for me, from that performance, no way. No way at all. I feel, you know, hats off to Foden. What a performance, Anfield. Good stuff. Um, Roy, that's the bar and stuff out of the way. Who's um, yours? I don't have any. I don't have any. Uh, I'll pick, on, I, I, I always pick two at the end. I'll, I'll pick two quickly at the end. Okay. okay. Um, so, losers of the week. So, Kev, you've had a fucking mare here. Um, <laughs> so, your loser of the week originally was Newcastle United. Newcastle. Correct. And yeah. And look, at the end of the day, Forget about what happened today because it's not a done deal. As much as I think it, pro- it probably is, I think it's going to go through. The reality is, without Callum Wilson, they can't score goals. They're second last in the league on merit. They're a poor side. St. Maximin aside, and he's a phenomenal player, the rest of them are dross. Do you know what I mean? They... Steve Bruce is, he's tried everything. He's tried to, to get him to shut up shop. He's tried to go attacking. He's tried to get him to play. He's tried everything and anything he knows. And they just cannot string a result together. They cannot get a win. Now, at the end of the day, by the time the transfer, if, even if this goes through, by the time January comes around, it could be too late for them. They could be gone. They're in serious, serious trouble getting relegated between now and January, even if this buyout goes through and they can attract players to come into the league if they're 10, 12, 15 points off relegation. Do you know what I mean? I, I think as yeah. a, they're, they're in, a lo- they've skirted around it for years. Ashley has ran the club like a penny, like a pound shop. It, they spend when they absolutely have to. To stay in the league at an all at, at a minimum, 
Now, I feel sorry for the fan base, but at the end of the day, the way they're acting, the way they're going about this, they're in serious, serious trouble. I think they're gone. I, I honestly think if you, hand in heart now, if you're looking, I, can, I can't see Newcastle surviving in this league on, with that current squad, with that current manager, the way they're going at the minute. I, can't, I just can't see it. I think Norwich are gone. I think they're gone. And I wouldn't be surprised. I think Burnley know enough to get out of it. But I think Southampton are in trouble. But I think those three are... I can't see any way out of them without them buying. Mm. Uh, well, they, they need this takeover to happen. But I think they, by the time it happens, it could be gone. It's a good point because, you know, even if they, they, they get the takeover over the line, they, they still have two months, two, two, two months or so, two and a half months of football where they could be looking at 15, 16 games to save themselves and they could be in serious, serious trouble. John O feels that Newcastle are going to be challenging at the top in the next two years. So, you know, the, the, the sort of money that's being talked about that this consortium have is mind blown. Um, so we'll have to see, we'll have to see what happens. But look, <laughs> you, you don't know until it goes through, until things actually start happening. But it's a good point. You know, they have two and a half months of football now where they need to actually do something. And the other side of it is the players who are there Already, if this goes through, the players who are sat there now, Bar St. Max, the rest of them are going to look at it, well, I'm gone. Yeah. You know what mm. I mean? They're going to bin me off. If, they, if they're going to spend as much bother? as you think. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. It's a good point. Yeah. Um, losers of the week. Jamie, I'll come to you. So my loser of the week is building on what Kev was saying before about talk sport um, and clickbait city. And mine is Jamie O'Hara. I... Look, I understand the business model of talk sports. I understand, and I get suckered in by this nonsense every week from when they put pretend football fans on their phone in and I'm fuming listening to it and I want to ring in and, and correct them. They're, they're not even real fans. Like, they've just got, like, these pretend supporters who ring up just to annoy people like me and I fall for it every time. Jamie O'Hara has kind of s- slipped into the role that Goldstein, the Cundy, all of these, uh, Durham, all of these lads had, which is say something silly, get loads of reaction. Uh, look, I've got a list here, but this is the one that came out. I think it was today or, or certainly this week. He took, um, uh, he objected to Norwich. think Norwich were basically a, a waste of a slot in the league. Uh, he wants the league to be cut to 18 to get rid of the dross. He thinks irrelevant games are killing the Premier League. It's just pointless. You know, not only is that massively disrespectful, but the way that the guy's talking, you think that he only lived at the top end of the league, uh, you know, for his whole career. You know, this is a Norwich team that, that, correct me if I'm wrong, they won the, the championship, they got promoted up. They have every right to be in this league. Um, I don't understand the hate towards them. Um, it's an unbelievable opportunity for their supporters. They're going to enjoy every game. For him to start talking like that disparagingly about clubs like Norwich, who have a good history, uh, who try to play the game in the right way, absolute nonsense. This is a guy who I think said Bournemouth were a bigger club than Rangers, that Scholes was better than Xavi and Iniesta. Like, I'm all for football opinions. But this guy is about three weeks away from rival and uh, Adrian Durham when he said that Tom Davies was going to be better than Steven Gerrard. Like this is this is the levels of nonsense that this lad is continually spouting. And it, I've had enough of it, Gav. Have you got a siren for a big heap of shit? Uh, I've, I've a boy skull horn. <laughs> yeah, that was boy skull horn. Boy skull horn is in. Um, <laughs> do you know what the gassing is? If you actually went by that mantra of what he's saying, you would cut it to eighteen. 
and those A-Dean would get stronger and stronger financially. And then two would come up from the championship and they'd be further away from the, the 16 that they'd be competing against. So then you'd have to cut it to 16 and they get more and more stronger financially. And then two would come up from the championship and, and they'd and be those further two away. Still be Norwich, yeah, and, and <laughs> it could be. And those, <laughs> that team comes up and they're further and further away from the 14 that they're competing against. And then you'll want to cut again. So you'll end up with a Super League. That's what you'll end up with. So that's it's funny, isn't it? Um, mm. it it's, it's, it's one of those. But uh, now it's a good show. Um, final loser of the week goes to Keith. Uh, I just want to add one last thing, Jamie. When you mentioned Norwich, I have a, a conspiracy theory that Delia Smith is running some sort of money laundering scam with Norwich. It's incredible how they have gone up and down. They've been the most amount of relegations, by the way, five, and uh, they tie West Brom with five relegations since the night since the Premier League began. So make of that what you will. And guess where West Brom are in the Championship right now? Second. So, <laughs> so whatever they're doing is working. No, um, mine actually leads on to that. Is um, my sorry, of the week. Sorry, After just. just- just before you do, Red Steve says, listen to this. It's like, listen to your ma picking a ringtone, which is uh, fair. <laughs> uh, thanks for that, Red Steve. So, um, but um, we ha- I am taking down the list of suggestions. I really am. And um, I think the, the Tim Whistle one is out in front of the moment. But sorry, Keith, for interrupting you. Loser of the week. Loser of the week's got to be the first sacking uh, of the season. Um, our dear friend uh, Z- uh, Zisco um, yeah. has uh, dearly departed. Um, Gav, if you could show me, these are the lists of every Watford manager, I believe since Gianfranco Zola and the famous goal that was scored, and you know, the whole, the, how they got promoted with, with Lesser missing the penalty and Dini scoring. And since then, um, no fewer than 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 managers, I think. 16 different managers between 2013 and 2021, which is absolutely remarkable. Um, there must no, it's, be a it's, 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 it's twenty. It's that amount of managers from August two thousand and fourteen to September twenty twenty one. So it's seven years. Seven years. Seven yeah. years of sacking. So either um, they don't put uh, uh, clauses in the contracts where they pay out on these sackings. Clearly, because um, uh, yeah, no one seems to survive that that long. Uh, just to mention on Disco as well. I mean, talk about uh, kind of a change in fortunes. This time last year. He was lifting the league title with Dinamo Tbilisi if you, uh, uh, in, in September 2020. And he was also voted manager of the year in the championship as he got Watford um, out of there. So, Lord, and to be perfectly honest with you, I don't really know what he's done that wrong. I mean, Watford seemed pretty decent at home. Obviously, away from home, it was it was a completely different story. But so be it. The coal has been dropped on Zisco and we say goodbye to a former La Liga and UEFA Cup winner with Rafa Benitez himself. So, knowledge. Um, knowledge. I did my research on him. So, you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah. And obviously we pay Watford away uh, next week and we've had some great memories of going, <laughs> of going yeah. to Watford over the Not years. Bad. So expect the, the new manager bounce. Yeah, it's it's a, it's madness. And I think they said something like seven points from seven showed a downward trend. And I was like, what fucking trend are you going on? You've only come up. You know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. it's insane. I think, I think did they win the first game day of the season against Villa, which was three points? Yeah. And then they went, mm, 
there's a downward trend here because we started with three and now it's only been ones, you know, sort of way. But the seven points in seven games, if you keep that up, they stay up. 38 and 38 will definitely keep you up in the league this season. So it's um, for me anyway. So it's one of those. But listen. Um, What's yours, Gav? Come on, you got it. You can't get away with it. Come on, give us um, two by winners and losers. Winner of the week. Winner of the week is it's Mo Salah. It's yeah. it's just there's nothing nothing compares to that this weekend for me. It's just you know uh, do you know what the best thing was watching it and and you, you like Jamie you went fucking mental. I just I laughed when you done it. I laughed and went that's f-. I was literally sitting there watching the match laughing. And it's actually when you when you when you knock into a WhatsApp group and no one's making any sense. It's just random letters being posted, <laughs> random numbers and letters being posted, and it just went out for about three minutes before lads calmed down. But um. Um, winners of the week are um, are is Mo Salah. Losers of the week is Arsenal. Um, because oh, you know, <laughs> well, well, the way I look at it is like they they lost three, then they beat Norwich, Burnley, and Spurs, and Spurs were like so fucking bad. Yeah. But when I watched Arsenal at the weekend. Uh, and people know, like, I'm intrigued by Arsenal, and I want, not that I want to see them do well, but I always, I kind of want to go, just be Arsenal. Like, come on, just be Arsenal, please. And when I've seen them come out and what they've done against Brighton, I went, just, there's not, uh, I, can't, I don't know how you are, they're fueling themselves for this fella. I really don't. Like, they came out, they played a 4 3 3, they played a midfield again that didn't want to run around. Um, they looked at the wing backs of Brighton and went, they weren't brave enough by saying, we're pushing our fullbacks onto your wingbacks and we're pushing their forwards right up the pitch and we're going to pen you back. What did they do? They just sat off Brighton and let Brighton play. And the funny thing is, when you look at Brighton's, their wingback on the left was outrageously good. Yeah. But, but when you look at them and you look at Pascal Gross and then you had um, Trossard as a decent player, but they're quite, they're inventive when they're playing. Even Mopay is inventive. He's not just all hustle and bustle. So they kind of fell into the trap of going, letting Brighton have the ball. And Brighton's biggest attribute is probably that they're a little bit inventive when they try play up front it's not just get it wide and cross it they were trying little flicks and stuff like that and I just couldn't I just couldn't get over Arsenal and and you know what it doesn't give me any joy by saying Arsenal every week it's just it does it, it, no it's a frustration it with them does. Jamie because <laughs> the, 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 they built their three wins is built on sand and they're, they're telling yeah. you they're this that and the other and then you look at them and go out well, he should have went out and dominated them he should have went out and said, we're better than them. We're off the back of three wins and not London Derby. And we're going to go and we're going to beat this. And yeah, but the Saka, thing is, Gav, they Yeah, but Saka has a shot in the first minute. And you could see, and I went, Arsenal look good. First two, three minutes. Mm. They were on it. They were passing. The weather was shit. But Saka gets in, comes inside, has a shot. Not the best shot, but it was like, that's a good, you know, shot, of, a warning shot for Brighton. Yeah. And then they just went back in themselves. And he's on the sideline, not, not looking to change it. He's quite happy with it. He's looking to just nick something. And and that for me, it's, Arsenal probably aren't losers of the week, but I just thought I wanted to talk about you, it. You definitely had a girlfriend when you were 14 and she dumped you for a new lad who supported Arsenal. No. That's the only That's no. the only thing that I can think <laughs> no, of. Come here and I'll tell you. No, come here and I'll tell you. Come here and i tell you. Come here and i tell you something, right? Uh, my frustration with Arsenal comes down to the fact of what age I am and the era I come up in. Um, you know, my, 1986 is when I can remember football from. And if you remember, late 80s into the early 90s and then off for a couple of years and came back under Wenger. 
Arsenal were a proper football club that knew yeah. what they were doing, knew how to do it, had players with balls, had players with courage. And when I look at them now, I just think to myself, this is a fucking waste of time. And I, I don't know. You've Arsenal fans now saying, Arteta this and Arteta. I'm sorry. And look, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I don't think I am. I think he's absolutely treading water. And he's nearly... He's nearly where Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer is, where he's sending players out on the pitch and just hope they do something. That's that's where I feel here. But look, it's one of those. Um, Jamie, anything else before we go? Oh, uh, I've slagged Gary Neville a lot this year for his football opinions. He mm. winds me up no end. Mm-hmm. But big respect for him shoving it up to the Conservatives today. So tip of the hat to Gary Neville. Okay. Um, Jono says, uh, never seen... Uh, Never seen a Liverpool fan so fascinated by another club like Gav is with Arsenal. It's it's a fa- it is a fascination because uh, when you're brought up with Arsenal as as a proper top club, a proper proper top club for years and years and years, and then when you see what's gone on over for me the last ten years, anyway, easy. It's just it's mind boggling to watch. If it happens to United, I don't give a fuck. But with Arsenal. There's just something not right there, and I just I'm, I am intrigued by it. I'm fascinated by it, and I talk to a lot of Arsenal fans about it. They're, they're probably the team I have a sec, not a support of, but I'm interested in most outside of Liverpool in the league for some weird reason. And it is just going back to me, me childhood and watching, I'm watching Arsenal, and what they wear. Um, so that's what it is, John. And I hope that things. I'll give you a, one more sound effect before we go, John. All right, Jay, up. Um, Kev, anything else before we go? Nah, mate, all good. Yeah, all, all good. good, all quiet. Nice debut, I think. Yeah, done very survived. well. Survived. Great to have you on, mate. Yeah, survived. You don't. You, you survived. Everything worked, <laughs> um, which is which is really really a, rele- a big relief to me. Big um, relief to me as well. Yeah. So um, I know we've done well. <laughs> Keith, um, first time on the midweek fix. Um, people around this probably don't know you. Um, probably don't know of you. So um, on Twitter at Goldmout is, is yeah. it's on the screen there for everyone to see. Anything else though? Can we find you anywhere else? Is there anything else you'd like to say before you leave? Yeah, um, look out. I'll send you guys the link as well. But my partner is debuting on Cage Warriors uh, Academy. Uh, got an MMA fight um, happening this Saturday. Okay. So I'll be in Colchester. So, um, yeah, she's an up-and-coming, I believe, obviously biased. But I believe, yeah, big thing. Big thing in the female featherweight division. Uh, fair, fair to say you don't come home late from the pub, mate, yeah? Correct. <laughs> uh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mess around. No. no, she's currently. Yeah, she's probably going to kick my ass anyway because I've been making noise here, and she's had to cut weight. Um, she's had to lose like seven kg in like five weeks, and been training her ass off. So yeah, so so look out for her. her name's Lisa Zimmer, uh, uh, Shell Shock Zimmer. Brilliant. So um, yeah, okay. I'll send you there's loads of lads. Um, I, I know in the chat and and even in we're in the day yeah. troopers are MMA mad. So we we'll definitely um send me the link, WhatsApp me the link, and yeah. um I'll get it onto the lads. But um yeah. that's it. Don't forget Sienna steps. Um, we're in the final mm-hmm. the final four long now for this. We really are. And if you can look, if you can donate, brilliant. If you can't, please please share it. But there's so much going on at the moment. Um, fundraising, they're raffling off jerseys, signed jerseys. There's so much going on, and we just want to get to that 120k and then we can all breed again and you know and then we'll probably move on to another project but we really 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 want to get this to 120k it's a massive thing for the for for seeing ourselves and our family but also us um to 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 just be able to say that we, we we've achieved that with this with this um 
young girl and our family is absolutely huge for us um, it's bigger than anything else we do on this channel in my opinion um, because we're just here talking football but to help somebody like that is just out of this world so if you can please help um, with Sienna's steps the link is in the description and as I said me and Andy are having a big big chat next week there'll be cans involved and there'll be just literally me Andy a link to donate and the chat and the chat is going to determine what me and Andy talk about um, I have got something I need to talk to him about and I can't remember it now but I must write it down Bread makers. Um, he, uh, Bread what? Makers. Bread no, makers. no, no. It was something the other day. And, and you know what? When I seen it, I said to myself, I have to talk about that. I'm not going near the bin men situation because he gets me into too much trouble. But, um, catalytic converters? Um, catalytic converters and all that. No, we're not doing that. Um, fully solid Easter eggs. We're definitely not doing that. Ordering skips. We've done that before. Um, spending three grand on a mattress, a pair of good shoes, and a leather jacket. Has been in the voice before. If you ever want to go down the credit union, I know that's happened. Air fryers, um, air fryers has been involved, but there's, there's definitely something that was in my mind during the week, and I thought I have to speak to him about that, and I definitely will. But um, in the chat, um, people will throw suggestions at us, and we'll have a good chat about that. And as I said, it'll be all towards Sienna um, that night. I think it'll be next Tuesday when we do it. So that has been the midweek fix for this week. Tomorrow is Carnage with Grizz. Friday is Sports Unplugged with Avi and Connor. Um, nothing on Saturday. Back on Sunday with the Fatback 4, which will be a different, which will be a different um, Fatback 4 to usual. There'll be a quiz or a draft and we'll just annoy a load of people. I'll annoy a load of people that are on. That's basically what'll happen. Jamie, it's been a pleasure. Kevin's been a pleasure. Keith has been a pleasure. I'm running out of um, sound effects. We've done applause. We've done bicycle horn. We've done air horn. We've done glockenspiel. Party noise. Did we do party noise? <laughs> well, we did that. And we have the triangle, the classic at the end yeah, yeah, but um, we're going to get more and more of those as we go along um, so yeah thanks a million for watching that is it over and out Sports Social Podcast Network